Hello and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders in regards to organ and tissue donation and transplantation. We're going to discuss the first ever HIV positive heart transplant, which by the way, took place at LOPA. We're going to explore the future of organ donation and transplantation in regards to infectious disease. My guests are Dr. Jonathan Hand, the Section Head of Transplant Infectious Disease at Ochsner Health, the Associate Medical Director and Co-Chair of the Advisory Board at LOPA, and also Joey Boudreaux, the Senior Director of Regional Operations at LOPA. I've had the honor of working collectively with them for over 30 years and admired the difference they're making in the lives of others. In our previous episode, which I just want to encourage anyone that's listening, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, I strongly encourage you to. There's some great information there. And today we're going to pick up on the groundbreaking achievement of the first ever HIV positive heart recovery and transplant in the U.S. But I want to go back to Dr. Hand. In our previous episode, you were talking about we were already doing this years before. So what made this specifically different? Yeah, I think it's it's important to know that what we were discussing on the last episode really was related to liver and kidney transplantation. So the majority of transplants done are kidney transplants in the U.S. The hope and action uh, protocols and safeguards say that it is, it is okay to do um, thoracic heart and lung transplants under this protocol, but there are certain criteria that centers need to meet. So a center must have performed a certain amount of thoracic heart or lung transplants in people living with HIV um, with HIV negative donors in order to qualify to move forward with HIV positive donors for thoracic transplantation. So this this really hasn't been hadn't been done before. And the historical context is when the Hope in Action trial started, that this was all with liver and kidney transplants. So it was in 2020, I believe, that everything was revised for the transplant of all organs to be recovered for transplant, correct? Yes, that's correct. So, um, and Joey, and in talking about the differences now, we're, we're looking at a thoracic organ and, you know, this being the first ever, and it happened at the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Can you bring us back and explore the beginning of that process? So when a patient is referred to us, it, we go through the same processes. Our processes don't really change. Uh, every referral that we get from a hospital uh, and this one happened to come from Our Lady of the Lake in Baton Rouge. Uh, we, we, ref- we evaluate the patient's organs, you know, based off of their labs, based off of their, if they've got any imaging, CAT scans, things like that. Uh, the only added piece to that from someone living with HIV is that we also make sure there aren't any opportunistic infections taking place. And in those situations, we screen with Dr. Han. And uh, in, th- in this case, we did. We did just that, uh, just to make sure there wasn't anything that we weren't seeing. Uh, he's the, our infectious disease physician. He is our associate medical director. So we screen all of these, not just HIV patients, but any type of infectious process. We screen with him just to make sure that we're seeing everything and looking for everything that we're, we should be looking for. And in this case, uh, he gave us the okay uh, to go ahead. 
talk to Brittany's uh, family and a uh, lovely girl, Brittany Newton, uh, passed away tragically. And, uh, and she had signed on the registry. She wanted to be an organ donor. And it's, it's, we talked about it in, in the last episode. It's something we weren't seeing, Sean Paul, you know, 10 years ago, which, which was, you know, people living with HIV who were signing up on the registry. So she did just that. You know, the education apparently had reached her. So we were excited. And uh, so we met with her family. We, we spoke, sat down with Brianne, her sister. And, uh, and then we, we also talked to her mom, Bridget. And and explained to them that she had signed up on the registry, wanted to be an organ donor, and they were excited. They were elated, and so we began supporting them at that time. And, and fortunately, again for us, we've been in contact with them regularly throughout the last since it ha- since it's happened. And and the next steps for us uh, after the authorization process are just a little bit further evaluation. And that process is very similar, whether you're living with HIV or, or not. And it's, it's mainly an evaluation of the organ function and, and, uh, and some infectious disease testing we have to check. Even if, you're, even if you're, you're stated positive for hepatitis, for instance, we still have to run infectious disease testing on everyone. What is some of the time frame of this testing that Joel are doing? Once the case starts, uh, we send off as soon as possible. And, uh, and it takes usually about eight to 12 hours or so for, for that, all the tests to come in uh, to let us know whether the patient has uh, either HIV, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and a few other infectious uh, diseases or infectious, infectious infections going on. And then from that, we then screen a little further, make sure oftentimes with Dr. Han, if there's, especially such as this situation where we we already knew that Brittany was living with HIV. Just to make sure, again, we're testing, we're doing the CAT scans, we're doing all, all the scans, imaging, and lab work that would be necessary. And, uh, and what happened next, you know, from there, is where we have someone who uh, works in Covington who pulls up the list, this national list that's out there. And, uh, and this, this person works in with our organ allocation. During the time that we were evaluating, we're speaking with the staff at Hope in Action, the research uh, group, and speaking with Dr. Han. And we found out uh, when we were about to run the list to see who matched up with Brittany in this uh, situation, they, they informed us that, hey, look, we just added someone to the heart list. So with this particular blood type, so we we were excited, of course, and I was involved in the in the and uh, the staff that was on site. Uh, Chad was on site. Uh, we then immediately did an echocardiogram to, to evaluate the heart. Once we found that out, we said, "All right, we've got to we've got to do everything we can to see that this happens." And so we did that because you can't actually m- make that connection without you know, the, the diagnostics. So we went ahead and did that. And of course her heart was beautiful. And, uh, and then we, we made that offer, you know, that through allocation, like through that process and notified uh, Montefiore in New York, the hospital and the, and the, and the workers and the, and the physicians there. And they accepted. 
of course, we had to run a few extra tests. Uh, we did a couple, uh, you know, a couple extra echoes just to make sure because New York and, and Louisiana aren't, you know, just a hop, skip and a jump from each other. You know, this was going to take a, a large effort on their part. Yeah, I was going to talk a little about about the logistical challenges, you know, because this is not the typical radius and distance with thoracics. But right. And so we then once once we, you know, we realized that they were serious, they had their patient, their patient was ready. We did everything on our part to make sure that they were comfortable, that Brittany's heart was perfect for their Miriam. Did you all know at this time that this was possibly the first ever? We had an idea. We, we knew it was one of the first. We didn't know if it was the first. And then, Joey, also, you know, I said, I mentioned earlier about the transplant center, you know, being in New York, that it's not typical because of the distance or radius. You know, there had to be some challenges that y'all had to overcome. What's some of the things that you all, you know, needed to do to ensure that this was a possibility of, you know, having a, a successful transplant? Well, I talked about our organ allocation staff and how they are the ones that make that connection and make the phone calls and, and, and of course connect essentially the on-site staff with the, uh, the staff there at Montefiore in New York. And, and they also work with logistics with all everything from ground transportation. We do the ground transportation and air transportation, um, and so we've got to arrange all these things, you know, put these things in motion. And the other piece about this, Jean-Paul, is that we had transferred Brittany to our suite in Covington. You know, so we built uh, a donor care center in Covington for this very reason, so that we can take care of Brittany and others uh, in the most sensitive way, in a, in a timely manner, and... To the point where we know that if someone's flying from New York to Louisiana to receive a heart, that we know that they're not going to get bumped because there was another trauma or two or a major accident on the interstate that all of a sudden puts everything on skates in, in, in a way, puts everything kind of like in limbo. So we built this donor care center so that we can make certain that the time frame is the time frame. And so we arranged and they when they found out, of course, that uh, we had a, a donor care center, they were excited. So we arranged the transportation. They had to fly in. They had to make extra uh, logistical uh, plans because they were flying in with an OCS or transmedics uh, machine, which is essentially a heart in a box. So uh, they had to bring this large machine with them to our donor care center and essentially that's the other piece that saved Miriam's life because blood flow to blood flow on a heart transplant. In other words, from the time we stop the heart on one end to the time that it starts on the other end is four hours. Now that's not four hours of flight time. That's four hours for everything. So this bringing this machine, this, this heart in the box, so to speak, was able to uh, enable the transportation all the way back to New York, we would have never uh, been able to allocate a heart to, to New York without it. So all of these things had to come together. And the fact that they were using this particular device that, that enabled such long distance uh, transportation, all of this came to, to, you know, to into fruition at the right time for Brittany 
to save Miriam's life. And, and it was an amazing thing. And it's, it's like, it still gives me the chills when I think about it, how many things had to happen in the time that they happened exactly when they happened, because she was just placed on the list. If she would have been placed hours later, she would not have had that second chance. You know, I know that you all are committed from a transplant and a donor hospital and OPO, you know, collectively, but from an outside looking in, looking at all these different layers, you know, it seemed like there was a lot pitted against you all for this not to happen. So I can't imagine what it feels like for you all and then obviously for Miriam. So with that, Joey, I know that, um, you know, there was something that really special happened uh, back in November of 22, you know, after the transplant. Do you want to speak a little bit more to that? Because I know you are part of it. Yeah, it was it was a very touching event that we were a part of. Uh, Susanna Martin with, with Lopa as well was, uh, and myself were able to make the trip up there with Brittany's family, with, uh, Brianne and Ms. Bridget and to meet Miriam and Miriam's family. And then we were able to spend that time actually during the trip, we were able to spend time with, with Brittany's family. And then afterward, uh, where we, we kind of, uh, you know, Brought them back to our place, brought them back to our hotel, hung out. We went eat with them. And it was such a special time just to be a part of two families that are golden and perfect for each other. And it, it was it was just a beautiful event. It really was. And, uh, and it's something that, you know, when you work in this field as long as, as we have, it, it's something that just what we say fills your bucket. Like it's, it keeps you going every time you have a, a long day. These days are the ones that keep you coming back, you know, keep you reinvigorated. So it was it was an amazing event that we were able to be lucky to be a part of. Well, I know that's something that never gets old to you all. No matter how long you've been in the industry, you know, each each donor hero, each recipient, each family, you know, is a story. And also, I think that it's important to note because I did speak to Susanna Morton and the community department in Lopa, and she was sharing with me that there was over a million stories that were shared viral, you know, whether it was TV or radio based on this story. So, you know, I know that there's so many times that we've heard that this donor hero story will never end, and it literally will never. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Dr. Hand, you know, one of the things I wanted to uh, to end in is, you know, we've talked so much over the previous episode and then this episode in the HOPE Act and in HIV. And just one of, one of the things I'd like to ask you is, like, what do you see the vision of the, in the future of organ transplantation, especially in, in regards to infectious diseases and how, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for, for anyone to be a hero? To your point earlier, it's important that people do not rule themselves out for donation. And like you said, things are constantly evolving um, for us to consider donors that we wouldn't have considered a few years ago. But I think there's still a significant amount of education that needs to occur both in our patients living with HIV to make sure they know they can become organ donors and save lives, that our, that our patients living with HIV are actually referred for transplant early enough. That's part of, part of the issue is patients living with HIV aren't referred for transplant, life-saving transplant early enough, uh, and that can have significant longer-term effects. We also have to educate our physicians, our clinicians caring for these patients to make sure that they know 
this is uh, an opportunity and that this can be done. Uh, obviously, we're always trying to work with our organ procurement organizations or related to education. There's also, I know we didn't talk about this much, we've been really talking exclusively about deceased donor donation, but there actually have been a handful of living donors, kidney living donors that are living with HIV who have donated their kidney to someone else living with HIV. So an expansion of the living donor process on the hope safeguards is I think something that should be um, is going to be further explored and important to expand. I think there's a lot that we're going to try to understand about rejection risk, how to understand the immune the complexities of the immune system in patients living with HIV that are undergoing transplantation, receiving significant immunosuppressive medications, and then how to hopefully I mentioned earlier the increased rates of rejection, hopefully how to avoid rejection and how different viruses interact. How does the donor's virus interact with uh, recipient's immune system and virus and, and changes that may occur there? Ultimately, there, uh, there, you know, there has been one or two cases, a few cases reported worldwide where um, only one knowingly, but the others inadvertently, where HIV positive donor organs have been used for people that are not living with HIV. And so I think once the as the safety continues, as the data as the data continue to come out about the safety of positive to positive organ transplantation, I think there there might be a future where there is an expansion from um, positive to negative donation. Given that HIV is a virus that our patients can take one pill once a day that doesn't interact with their immunosuppression. I mentioned earlier U equals U, so patients uh, are are not uh, able to transmit virus if their virus is undetectable through sex, and and that if someone is dying of liver disease or liver failure at this exact moment, it's uh, it it's it's illegal to use a positive donor for a negative recipient. So there's there's a lot I think that we still need to move forward with uh, with the current day we have and how that then translates into policy uh, from a federal level and, and where the next moves to maybe get to that positive to negative in certain uh, certain situations. Well, it sounds like you just signed yourself up for another podcast because it looks like there's a lot of different directions that we could go in, you know, continue the knowledge, uh, you know, in the community, in our hospitals and um, and beyond. So thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and Joey, is there any lasting comments or thoughts that you want to share before we close? No, just to reiterate, like, don't rule yourself out. Like, that's our, our big message when, when we're out in the public or we're out even in a hospital setting. It's, it's, it's that very thing because there's always a, a new breakthrough that's right around the corner that changes whether maybe you may not be able to be an organ donor today, but you may just be able to be tomorrow. Well, I think it's so important, you know, that now, you know, basically everyone can feel like they can make a difference in the life of someone else. And, you know, that's important. So thank you for sharing that message. And, you know, I want to close here, but, you know, like I started earlier, I just want to tell you that, you know, like I said, I think that I really can speak for so many people in the collaboration of you all as, as an OPO, as a hospital, um, you know, whether it's Loper or Oshner Health and all of the hospitals that are represented you know, throughout the nation and working together, 
you know, to to ensure these life-saving opportunities for donor heroes and, and possible transplant recipients. So thank you so much for coming on, sharing your time, your knowledge, and uh, and just your dedication to what you all do. So thank you for being here again. Thank you for having us. Thanks again for having us. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being someone that truly cares about organ and tissue donation. It really matters. You can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Mm-hmm.